We've been in the book of John for some time now, as you guys know. Um, but this morning, with everything that's been going on in our nation, I, I'm really com- I've been compelled to speak about the matters we've been facing as a nation, mostly just to encourage us in the Word. Uh, and, that's, and that's my heart behind this, that um, with so many forces pulling us one way or the other and having to respond, what is the Lord Jesus, what would the Lord call us to be and to do at this time as his church? Because that's the only voice that matters. Amen? And so uh, with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come before you, King of kings and Lord of lords, who rules righteously from your throne and Lord, we we thank you for the kingdom you've brought into our hearts and our lives through Jesus Christ, and we pray that that kingdom wouldn't stay just within us, but would be lived out and proclaimed in this lost world around us. And so, Lord, now we just ask by your Spirit that you would cleanse us of our sin, of our wickedness, Lord, of our rebellion, Lord, and, and, and cause us to have hearts that are responding to you in this time and in this place that you've placed us in, that we would be your beautiful bride, Lord, submissive to you um, in, in all ways, and Lord, yet proclaiming you with our very lives. And so we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, uh, we've been through a lot as a nation over the past, uh, over the past couple of months uh, with the COVID crisis and, and almost the shutdown of our entire society. As a, as a nation, most of us have been holed up in our houses. Raise your hand if that's you at home. You're, you're holed up in your house right now. So um, rationing toilet paper and, and hand sanitizers, things we didn't, wouldn't think of probably six months ago. Uh, unable to meet with your extended family, um, with friends, unable to work, unable to go to school, unable to graduate, um, have a, you know, have a ceremony, unable to attend funerals or weddings, spending way too much time at Home Depot. Uh, apparently, Home Depot just had, was lawless during this time. I mean, thousands of people gathered in Home Depot. Everybody's homes are now beautiful on the outside. It's pretty amazing. So something positive has happened. But it's, it's been a total departure from, from the life that we've known. Um, in particular, we who believe, um, until last week, you know, we were under prohibition. We couldn't meet together um, as a church on the Lord's Day, on, on Sunday, to worship and to fellowship together as we are this morning. And so um, it's been taxing on all of us in many ways. Would you not agree? And obviously, so much more has gone on with COVID um, the past couple of months. The point being that it's really been unprecedented what has happened in our nation and and in the world. Uh, But no doubt, the world has seen far worse. I mean, any student of history would know this as you're looking back over the past, uh, you know, last century. We know that, uh, you know, 85 million people lost their lives in the span of seven years during World War II and the atrocities of, uh, of communism and fascism and war and all that stuff, is, has the world's seen worse than what's going on right now. Um, but the scriptures teach us that it's going to get worse. And actually, there's a tribulation coming upon this world, a three and a half year, a great tribulation, that is going to put everything that has happened before it or after of it, it, nothing will compare, it will eclipse all of it. And so just want to let you know it's going to get worse. And that is going to culminate in the return of Jesus Christ 
on this earth and we will be with him on that day if you are a believer. And so there's a lot that's going on, but we haven't seen anything yet. <clears throat> but nevertheless, um, we've, we've experienced a, a drastic reduction in our freedom and uh, with widespread fear and uncertainty, it's blanketed our nation and the world. And although it's been difficult for each of us, we do have reason to praise God. I mean, how many of you have been blessed in, in ways through this, this crisis? And so we don't want to be grumblers. We want to praise God and give him the glory for everything that he's doing. Um, in that, he gave us the grace to be able to see each other virtually face-to-face and to continue to connect with one another in those ways. Um, maybe spend more time at family and home and doing other things that needed to happen. God, is, God has been good through all of it. He has blessed us as a church. And so we, we give him praise. Amen? Amen. But as a nation, we've been through a lot. From a national sense, from, uh, from widespread fear of catching uh, you know, COVID or to the many who have died during this time, to mandatory social distancing and wearing masks or not wearing masks, to many losing work, the economic problems yet to come, the uncertainty and the stresses of it all. This has been a trial for us in the United States, of course, for the world. And just in case you didn't know, we're in a uh, presidential election cycle to top it all off. And now on top of all that, we have been through, uh, once again, racial tensions that have now compounded the complexity and the intensity of the times we're living in. And so protests have abounded now, and, uh, and various groups and political parties are now taking positions. And to add to that, we're all aware that those who have abandoned uh, peaceful protests and are basically terrorizing citizens and taking over whole city blocks at will, burning down businesses, looting, and all of that. And so we are living in tumultuous times. And it's become clear to me personally, and I believe nationally, that there is a loud cry demanding for people to pick a side. Have you guys sensed that? within your own heart, within your own community, that you are forced to take positions on all of this. And the pressure is so profound that in the last week we've seen corporations, have you noticed the advertisement change and the slogans that large corporations are now um, are, are, are getting behind groups like Black Lives Matters and they're, they're, they're um, expressing uh, the importance of, of of anti-racism and all this type of stuff. I was in Walmart the other day, and how many did you, kind of like walking into, uh, you know, one of the grocery stores for the first time, and, and you're all of a sudden hearing, um, you know, please stay six feet apart, and, you know, it's just all these, you're used to hearing horrible music or, or whatever it might be, and it's just a new world, and now we're hearing messages about uh, social justice and racial equality, and, and we're with you, and all these types of things as businesses, and leaders are seeking to respond and cope to the tremendous pressure to take a side on all these issues that affect all of us. And so there are many on others who dismiss that there's nothing happening whatsoever, that there isn't any racial injustice whatsoever anywhere. Still others uh, see a need for law enforcement reform and yet are concerned about the breakdown of the family within society and the rampant uh, sin and lawlessness that is happening 
that affects so many. And others on the religious side, I don't know if you read in Christianity today, the other day, the CEO is calling for white evangelicals to confess that we have not taken the sin of racism with the gravity and seriousness it deserves, as well as suggesting reparations of some sort to be given as a token of goodwill and healing. And so there's a lot of different views and opinions that are are formulated and being uh, shot at us through the media. And then if you really want to pick sides, uh, there is the controversy of mask, no mask, social distancing that we're all struggling with. And obviously, all these descriptions that I'm giving you uh, doesn't even begin to paint the picture of the complexity of what we're going through. My point isn't to go into great detail about the justice and the injustice of everything, but to kind of paint a broad picture of what's going on and what we're facing as a society. And so we have, a highly, com- we have highly complex issues that we're facing, and there is a very strong pull for you and for me to take a position and to pick sides. And, and, and I've been thinking about all this, and as I've been thinking about this, I've been wondering what would the Lord Jesus do if he was faced with that proposition? How would he answer all of this? And obviously, whatever he would say would be the right answer in the right position. Amen? But my mind went to Luke 13. And the backdrop of Luke 13 is that in Luke 12, Jesus had just taught on judgment. He said that he did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword and to divide families and that members within their own household would be divided against one another, following him or not following him was the context. And that Jesus' plea was that the people would get ready because the storm of judgment was coming that God's judgment was coming, and the Lord pleaded with them to get right while the, with the judge while there was still time. And that's how Luke 12 basically ends. It's very paraphrased, but that's the idea behind it. And immediately, chapter 13 says, the people were wondering, basically, uh, they were asking Jesus' take on current political situations. What's the ramifications of this? Is, is, is what's happening around this uh, God's judgment? And they give a couple examples, and it says there, uh, uh, in, in chapter 13, verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifices, their sacrifices. If you remember last week, we, we learned a little about, about Pilate. He was a brutal dictator. Uh, he was brutal. He didn't care about the Jews. He was very pompous and proud, and yet uh, he was wishy-washy in so many ways, but we know this from our time in John, and history tells us that when Pilate got his um, office therein to be governor of the southern area of Israel, that he marched into Jerusalem uh, like displaying banners or something that was totally profane to the Jews. And so he just marched his soldiers straight into the capital with all these things, and they started to riot against this. And Pilate said, you better stop it or I'll kill you all. They called his bluff. He backed down. But then he later took money from the treasury to build an aqueduct, the the Jewish worship. So he just went into the offering plate, took that money to build an aqueduct. And when he did that, people started revolt again. And then his soldiers beat and killed many, many people. And so the Jews were asking what are your thoughts on all this? 
What are your thoughts on all this? What's your take on all this? Is this the judgment of God was probably their perspective or what's going on? Jesus had the opportunity to talk about how wrong Pilate was. And he was. And he had the opportunity to talk about rioting and and how there, there should be a lack of that. Jesus had the opportunity to talk about injustice. And here's Jesus' answer in Luke 13, 2. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Not the answer I was expecting. I want details on Jesus' opinion about political situations and what's going on, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus continues in verse 4 of Luke 13. He says, Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's interesting that Jesus' focus was focused on a much larger picture. It was God's perspective of humanity, not fallen man's perspective of each other. God had something far more concerning to him, far more important It was the injustice that everyone had committed towards him and the coming judgment upon the world that was because of it. In this case, Jesus was making the point that death is coming to everyone, whether it be the hands of a cruel dictator or by towers collapsing on you. It's coming and the judgment is on its heels. And unless you repent, you are going to perish just the same as they. God's judgment is coming. Church, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we're going to get into a debate about Pilate and Galileans. When there is so much, there's a much more pressing issue from God's perspective that we are all guilty before God and his judgment is coming on this nation and upon this world And unless we repent, we too will perish because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not minimizing. I'm putting us in God's perspective on this situation from what I see from Jesus here. And what we're seeing nationally in the the world's, in our national reaction to all of these issues, we are facing what I believe is a clear display of a condition of a sinful human heart. In our responses as a nation, on whatever side, sin is entrenched in our perspective. Sin is entrenched in our sense of justice, in our sense of injustice. We're at war with each other. And it's sad. But we are a nation that is enslaved to, this, to sin. 
and has rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are a nation that has rejected God, that has rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it is displayed in everything we do and how we respond and how we act. And that, I believe, is what is most concerning to God at the moment. We're at war with each other because we are a nation that's ultimately ruled by our, our passions. We're ruled by our flesh, not by the Spirit of God. James 4.1.2, we know this, tells us plainly, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Well, it's the other person, obviously. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What, what's the reason for division? What's the reason that you are at each other's throats? What, what's behind all of that? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We see it on every level. From government's abuse or neglect of their authority to racism to rioting to the way we speak to one another in total disregard for one another. It's evident that we're not a people who have the lordship of Jesus Christ in our conscience as a nation. There is no fear of God before our eyes. There is just people ruled by flesh. And as a result of us rejecting God over and over, rejecting his son, rejecting his gospel, rejecting him, suppressing the truth, exchanging the truth for a lie, Romans 1, God has begun to judge us by giving us over, letting us become futile in our thinking, darkened in our hearts, foolish in our actions, being given over to lust and dishonorable passions, which we see it rampantly in our society, and ultimately where we are today, a pervasive national mindset that is ruled by a debased mind. Now, doing what ought not to be done. You see, because we have rejected the truth of God, church, in exchange for a lie, God has been continually giving us over to the point where we are today as a society. Romans 1, 29-32 goes on to say, of a people that are under that kind of judgment, people who have rejected God for so long, they keep our, God keeps giving them over to where their mind doesn't work anymore. He says, this is what they are. They were filled, verse 29, Romans 1, 29, they were filled, that is overflowing with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Paul says they are filled, they're overflowing, they are abounding in unrighteousness, that is injustice. They're abounding in, we are full of evil, that is ill will, the desire to injure others, full of covetousness, that is greedy, and the desire to have more. And Paul says they're full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, malice. Envy is ill-willed jealousy. Full of murder, that's slaughter. Full of strife, that's contention, wrangling, always debating. Full of deceit, that's craft. 
and, and being deceitful. Paul continues there, gossips, they're slanders, they're haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And we get the idea. He doesn't say there's a few of them. He says these people are full of it. This is what flows out of the root of their tree. This is the fruit of their life. As they've been so given over that they are dripping with this kind. And we like to look at this list and go, oh, well, I don't have that one. You do. But as a nation, God looks at us and goes, do you think that you're all innocent here? He goes on, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice this. In other words, they know what they are doing is wrong, but they not only do it, but they approve of others. And we see that. Evil is being not only openly, brazenly performed, but then those people openly uh, condone and applaud evil and parade it. We're seeing this in our society right now on all levels. These attributes describe people who have been given over to a reprobate mind by God. This is judgment. And we're now clearly seeing that at a fundamental level, evil being called good and good being called evil. Do you see it? Just me? Amen? where the God-ordained authority of government has been abusing their authority with impunity and then justifies it in too many ways to count, where that same God-given authority that should be used to protect the innocent and suppress evil is now silent in the face of evil, giving preference to the lawless over the law-abiding, where rebellion is openly glorified and justified in our media, in our movies, in our music, in our educational institutions, by politicians and from pulpits. There's a cry that's going out right now that black lives matter, which they absolutely do. Make no mistake, church, they do. Yet that very same movement, which is, supposedly, which is supported by Planned Parenthood, they're silent when it comes to a thousand black babies being eradicated every day. Where's the outcry for genocide for those thousand black lives every morning, every day? All the while we have politicians, the media, government, the entertainment industry, corporations, and yes, religious leaders in the church all feeding into this frenzy and spinning it that the root issue is racism or police brutality. And if we only make this law or change this thing or defund the police, that somehow the human heart is going to change. The issue has always been the sinful human heart. Unless you think you're above it, we're not. Our nation has rejected Jesus Christ and God has been revealing his wrath towards us by giving us over to a reprobate mind. Consciences that have been seared. 
Minds that can't no longer think, can't discern, can't reason, hearts that are ruled by the flesh. That's what we're facing. The United States is in an unsalvageable predicament that is beyond human capacity to fix. Just a cursory reader of history, anyone who's read history, do you see a pattern? Anyone? Things are bad. They've always been bad. It's us. We're the problem. It's in every single one of us. We don't have the ability to change the human heart or to reform the human heart. We don't have it. We don't have the ability to fill it with a love that is unnatural to us. We don't have it. It's not within our capacity. No one has it. I don't have it. You don't have it. We don't possess it. This must come from outside of us. It must come from outside of a fallen human heart, from someone who has never had a racist thought, from someone who has never abused nor neglected authority, for someone who has always, for all times, loved perfectly both his enemies and his own. The solution to racism, church, the solution to abuse of authority, to neglect of authority, to rebellion, to hate, to fear, to justice, to injustice, to all these issues rests alone in the lordship of Jesus Christ over the human heart. He is the only remedy for our conditions and our maladies. The only one, period. It is him. Because when Jesus Christ becomes Lord over a person, when we are born again, we are given a new nature. His spirit indwells us. And his spirit that indwells us by God's grace, he then commands us and teaches us and empowers us to love like he loved with a love that we don't have. And our spirits rejoice in the thought of following him in that. Amen? And when we don't, our hearts are vexed. When we treat each other the way of the human heart, we're, we, we're convicted, we're broken over that, and we long for God to change us. Church, his life in us, his love in us and through us will fulfill what no law, no reform ever could. As born-again believers, we now love because he first loved us. We didn't deserve his love, we deserve the wrath of God, but he came and he died for us on behalf of sinners to pay our debt of sin 
towards a holy, perfect God and to give us his righteousness, his character, his life in place of our old life. Undeserved grace. And when a person born of God through faith in Jesus Christ, when that happens, they're changed. Have you been changed by the love of God, church? Five of you, great. Amen, let's hear it. Amen. And he teaches us then to love one another in a way that he loved us selflessly for our good, not looking at the color of your skin, looking past all of your flaws and problems. He knows what you need, and he gave himself willingly that you would be restored. He teaches us to love our enemies. He's still teaching us to love our enemies. He teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Neighbors that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't come from the same place that you came from as God did with us. He teaches us to submit to authority, first being his, then to the authorities that God has established in the family and in government. That's why we're wearing masks and I'm standing 50 feet away from you. Not submit to authority when you like it, when you agree with it, but out of reverence for where that authority comes from, from him. And they will give an account to God. And he teaches us to use our authority righteously for those of you who have power to not lord it over, but to use it to be a blessing to people. We realize that we're not in control, that we are actually stewards. And he teaches us to entrust God with injustice. What this nation needs, although we don't know it collectively, is that we need the love of God in the human heart. That's what we need through Jesus Christ. And that love changes everything, church. And that is what the church is about. That's what we're about. The Apostle Paul is the case in point of a person who has been changed. You remember who he was? Do you remember how vicious a man he was, how he persecuted, jailed, murdered, stood over those who were being stoned? Do you remember how vicious he was? Paul, writing in Romans chapter 12, 14 through 21, to Romans, in the book of Romans, to a group of people who would experience great persecution and injustice under Nero, Paul says, bless those who persecute you, having been a persecutor. Listen to this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
It's a selflessness. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, instead of a people who seeks out vengeance, retribution, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the idea is that this undeserved love would be a means of God's conviction in their life to bring them to repentance. By your overflowing, undeserved love, it would bring the conviction of God in their hearts and perhaps they would be repent. That's how you get to someone's heart. You love them to death. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, church, our side has been chosen for us. Our side has been chosen for us. We have been given such immeasurable mercy in Christ Jesus. And now through our lives and our words, we get to rise above the debate and above the fleshly back and forth and to see the world the way that God sees it totally broken, chief of sinners standing right here as we look on, knowing that they need a changed heart. They need to be saved, and you have the answer. An answer that is beyond us, that came to us, but is now in us. Don't don't get into the fleshly debate, church. Of course, call wrong, wrong. But don't get into the fleshly debate. Absolutely, racism is evil. We all have the potential for it. Injustice is evil. Abuse of authority is evil. Rioting and all these things are, are evil, but they're just symptoms, church. They're symptoms of a human heart that needs the lordship of Jesus Christ and the cure is within you. The hope that lies within you. If you are Christ and you have been saved, you have the cure, you have the message, you have the remedy and you are God's vehicle. You're his messenger. You're his love letter now to the world. You're his ambassador. You represent him. You communicate for him. You see, the the lordship of Jesus Christ is the answer. The gospel is the answer to it all. And we are his instrument to deliver that such grace. We need a really deep work of God's grace in our country. Amen? That he would grant us humility and repentance, that we would somehow be able to see out of our debased thinking and be broken before him. Now, I know I've read the whole book and the, per- the trajectory is everything goes downhill. I get it. But I think like the Lord, 
He didn't put you here just to go on a, on a death slide with everybody else. He puts you here to grab as many as you can with truth and love that they, too, would experience the grace of God and be born again as they repent and believe upon the Son of God. And here's the cool thing, is that when we're born again, Ephesians chapter four tells us that we have one Father. There's one race now in Christ Jesus. I have fellowship with brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who I've only seen once or twice. You don't even speak my language nor look like me, but I love them dearly. And that's a love that God put in my heart. That's a supernatural love. Love that we have for one another. Love that's Christ. That's not a pseudo love, a get along love. It is a genuine, heartfelt, giving concern for one another. Love fulfills the law. In closing, church, the issues before us are not racial. They're not political. They are not political at their core. They're carnal issues that cry for the spiritual solution that God has provided in Jesus Christ. And so, church, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. Search your heart. I'm searching my heart. Are we on his side or are we picking sides? And I just ask that may the Spirit fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. That the fallen world around us would see true love in the light of what's going on. Our love for one another and our love for our enemies and all that's going on that we would love, not condone love and that the world would have that firsthand experience of the manifest love of God true changed lives in their midst and let's keep praying that the Lord would grant our nation repentance amen may it start with us father we bow our hearts before you and we know Lord that this world is in the throes of so much, and you are not unaware of these things. You are actually at work. And I believe during this time you are purifying your church. You're bringing up issues within our hearts, Lord, that we have let go to the side because we have been so, we've been in a life of such ease. And so, Lord, teach us once again. Humble us once again galvanize us once again under your banner, under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Teach us to love. Teach us to care. Teach us to be long-suffering. And Lord, teach us to be patient in suffering, Lord, and to entrust you with all the injustice that's going on. And so, Lord, we worship you now, Lord in spirit and in truth. Have our hearts, have this church. And Lord, we do pray for you to revive or resurrect, more, more correctly, the dead from America. 
And it's in the name of Jesus we ask and pray. Amen.